You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. We are in uh, the Hollywood, Garden Hollywood series, and there are certain movies that, that really shape the world, shape a generation. Forrest Gump taught us that, that anything is possible. And that even a slightly slow man with kind of like a social awkwardness can go ahead and start a massive shrimping company with a guy with no legs. <laughs> Wizard of Oz taught us that we all have courage and heart and brains somewhere within us. <laughs> the film Home Alone taught us that even a 10-year-old kid can set up traps around a home and spoil the plans of two seasoned criminals. <laughs> Nowadays, 10-year-olds can't even ride bikes. That's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. But fewer films have shaped the world more than the one I'm about to show you. This film has shaped my life. This film has made me who I am today. This film, if you've watched it, has made you possibly who you are today. This film has the inspiration of Braveheart within it. Has the action of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Because that was the best one. It pulls on the heartstrings like the notebook. This film has everything you need in a film. And I'm gonna th just throw the preview of uh, this film up on the screen for you now so you can check it out. Come on. Yeah, put your hands together for Dumb and Dumber. What a film. What a film. It uh, did a quarter of a billion dollars at the box office. Millions of people have seen it. I try and watch it annually, uh, biannually on a non-busy year. And uh, if you haven't watched it yet, hey, there's no condemnation underneath Christ Jesus. If you're one of the 1%, Jesus left the 99 to go after you. And so this week, you can go ahead and watch that. That'd be phenomenal. And if you're part of my leadership team and you haven't watched it, that's um, actually not, not right at all. <laughs> you need to watch it. But uh, it's a funny movie. And if that offends you a little bit, it's, it's okay. You can laugh. Part of being a Christian is laughing. So it's, you, you're going to experience that. It's going to be great. But um, we often study... Um, Successful, successful things that successful people do, don't we? And I think that behind even all the successful things that people do, you all, I think we'd all find, even with our own lives, that even the, all the success and great things we've done, we, we'd probably find if we pulled back the curtain, there's, there's probably a, a trail of, of dumb things that each and every one of us have done at some point in our life. And I wonder if, if you and I can learn perhaps maybe even more from, from the dumb decisions of, of ourselves and, and maybe even the, the dumb decisions of, of other people. Maybe we could even learn more than perhaps the, the great decisions, the right decisions that they, that they have made. I believe that, that so many people love the film Dumb and Dumber because I think all of us can somewhat relate to, maybe not as extremely, but somewhat relate to Lloyd and Harry uh, in the fact that we've all done dumb things at some point in our life. Just raise your hand if you've never done a dumb thing before and we'll pray for you after the service because you need it. But uh, someone in this room today has put diesel into a regular gas car at some point and ruined the engine. Someone in this room may have put all their trash from not in the regular trash can, but in the green one. And, and that's a big mistake because they leave a note. They say, don't do this ever again. Or I'm not sure what happens, but they're not happy about it. Someone here, some, some well-meaning parent has made the crucial mistake of, of driving their kids to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and promising their kids what's about to happen and gotten to the drive-thru and, and, and 
wound down the window and, and spoken into the little box about what they're going to order and turned around to their kid and said, hey, what do you want from Chick-fil-A today, son? Daddy's gonna take you out for a treat only to turn around a moment later and say, daddy's not a good daddy today. I've made a crucial mistake, it's shut. I think we've all made dumb decisions, have we not? You know, a side note that, that I think is interesting and, and, and probably reassuring to me is that the Bible is actually full of amazing people who have made dumb decisions at some point. Isn't that nice to know? That we're not alone in sometimes the things that we've done. Uh, Noah got drunk and naked one night. That's not an excuse to get drunk or naked and definitely don't combine those two things. <laughs> Samson got tricked by Delilah. Adam and Eve made a mistake with an apple that's kind of had a ripple effect on all of us. I think the Bible's full of people that, that are great people, but, but they just made dumb choices at some point. I wonder, if, um, I wonder if wisdom is possibly a little bit underrated. Like for me, some of the storms I've found myself in in my life have been much more because of my choices and my stupidity and my dumbness, not so much an attack from the devil. <laughs> and Christians are really awesome at blaming the devil for everything. <laughs> and I've shared this before, but uh, you, you've heard of the story of when I was 18, having to ride my bike and catch the bus everywhere I was going because I lost my driver's license, not because the devil attacked me and, co and caused me to drive terribly, no because I thought I was Vin Diesel and I thought my life was an episode of The Fast and the Furious and I lived my life a quarter mile at a time <laughs> and I lost my driver's license. That was nothing to do with the devil. The devil laughed at me and thought, that's great. Now, you can't, now you're gonna have a hard time being a youth leader on Friday nights because you can't even drive your own youth high schoolers to youth because you lost your driver's license. Dumb. Someone say dumb. dumb. And we talked recently uh, in, a, in, a, in a message about how God's sovereignty and our responsibility are two things that coexist at the same time. So it's God's sovereignty, but then there's our responsibility. And our responsibility is filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of choices. Our life is full of millions and millions of choices, some big and some small. People often ask me, how did you lose all that weight when I lost 95 pounds? I just made thousands of very good decisions. It wasn't like I woke up one day and made one great choice and bang, wow, that's a miracle. It doesn't work like that. Thousands of small choices. So if, 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 if life is not just God's sovereignty, if life is that plus our responsibility, I think it would be smart for you and I to seek wisdom as much as possible. Because the more we seek wisdom, the easier the responsibility side of, of everything is going to be because we're gonna have God's wisdom to apply to all of these choices and decisions that we have to make. I wonder if knowledge and wisdom is somewhat underrated. So some scriptures that you can focus on this week, and I'm not gonna dig into them too deeply. I just wanna tell you them so you can write them down and perhaps this week you can focus on them. The book of Proverbs is a phenomenal book to read. 31 chapters, you can read one proverb a day and you can read Proverbs once a month if you'd like to, just throwing it out there. But Proverbs 1.7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ouch. Proverbs 13.1 says, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker, does not respond to rebukes. Another ouch. Proverbs 15, 12 says, mockers resent correction, 
So they avoid the wise, Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to advice and accept discipline. At the end, you will be counted among the wise, Proverbs 3, 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom for those who will, will gain understanding. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So that's just a handful of scriptures. I could probably read 10 times that, but the Bible is jam-packed full of wisdom and knowledge that are gonna help you and I live an amazing, phenomenal life. So today, I just wanna jump into just quickly four Bible stories that I believe were dumb moments from people in the Bible. But I think that if we can learn from people's successes, then we can also learn from their failures. And I would like to, for you and I today, to, to learn some things today. So let's pray. The title of my message today is Dumb and Dumber, Lessons from the Bible. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every single person here today. Thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for South Campus. Thank you for Dumb and Dumber, the great film that's impacted so many lives. Help me to preach quickly today and let's have some fun in church, some lives will get changed in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So the first story, let's check this out in Genesis 25. Genesis 25, uh, 27 through 34, the story of Jacob and Esau. So the context here is Jacob and Esau, twin brothers, uh, sons to Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was the firstborn. And being the firstborn is a pretty big deal back in Bible times. Nowadays, firstborn's not really a, a big of a deal, but back then it was a massive, massive deal being the firstborn because it meant you had the birthright. So it's a massive thing. So verse 27, let's pick this up here. Verse 27. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home and do quilting and write poetry. He loved to write haikus. See, Jacob wasn't really an emerge guy, but Cherish is coming up. I'll leave that there. Verse 28, Isaac, loved Esau because he enjoyed eating all the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah, his wife, she loved Jacob. So Esau was a man's man, but Jacob was a mama's boy. Esau's first car was a Corvette. Jacob's first car was a scooter. <laughs> One day when, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness all rugged, exhausted. He says to him, I'm starving. Give me some of that red stew. Verse 31, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Now don't miss this, because this is you can skim over this and miss how, how crazy this is. This would be the equivalent of going onto Shark Tank with a mega successful company, and you walk into Shark Tank wanting, I don't know, $10 million for 10% of your company, but then you walk away giving your company away for a cup of soup. That's, that's the equivalent of what we're looking at here. So Dumb and Dumber, here we go. This is Dumb and Dumber right here. So this is, this is it. Check this out. Verse 32. I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? I mean, someone should have told this guy about meal prepping. This would have really, this would have, this could have been avoided, Esau. But Jacob replied, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew and Esau ate the meal. Then he got up and he left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Isn't that crazy? What a crazy, simple, short story, but what a powerful point. Have you ever been really hangry? 
Some of you might be hangry now. I'm sorry. We're going to finish shortly. You're going to be okay. You ever been so hangry that you, you don't make the right choices? You just, you're, not, you're not thinking straight. Like, don't get into an argument when you're hangry. Just a, just a side note. You ever been hangry and you're driving home and you're like, I'm going to drive home and I have my kale salad. I'm going to stick to my plan. But then you get in traffic and you get hungrier and you're on the 805, southbound, 5.30 p.m. And you're praying to God, God, I'm so hungry right now. I'm becoming hangry. I'm switching across from hungry to hangry. God, just, just give me a sign if you don't want me to wait. <laughs> just give me a sign. And you're driving on the 805 and you, you look over and you, you see this golden M. <laughs> That's a sign. <laughs> so you, you exit the freeway and you, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm gonna get a salad from McDonald's. It's okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a salad from McDonald's. But as you drive into the drive-thru, you realize that no one gets a salad from McDonald's. Have you ever gone into McDonald's and seen a bunch of bodybuilders just, who just worked out all eating salads? No, you haven't. You ever see a group of aerobics moms like all eating salads? Like McDonald's, they have a salad on the menu, but there's, there's no salad there. <laughs> If you ask him for one, they just say, um, let me get my manager. Like, they don't have salad. <laughs> it's a joke. They don't have it. You're hungry. You're hangry. So you end up ordering, you know, your Big Mac and your chocolate shake and all that stuff. And you end up going home. You made a bad choice. You made a bad choice. It's like going to a buffet when you're starving. Like, I, I'm all about being starving. But if you're super starving and you're rolling into soup plantation, you're going to walk out of that thing regretful about what you've just done. <laughs> When I go to a buffet, it's not even about eating. It's, it's a competition. It is me versus the buffet. <laughs> and I am undefeated. So Esau was starving. I think you and I make bad choices when we're not fulfilled, don't we? And we haven't got the fulfillment that God brings. We, we often sell ourselves short which is our first lesson today from Dumb and Dumber in the Bible is Esau sold himself short. He got a little desperate and traded his birthright for some stew. I found that the enemy comes at you and I just like Jacob did to Esau. Jacob took advantage of Esau. He saw that Esau was, was hungry. He saw that, that Esau was in a moment of need. And so Jacob comes in crafty like the devil and says, hey, trade what God has for you. Just trade God's plan for you, for what I have for you right now. I think one of the worst things, one of the dumbest things you and I could do is to sell ourselves short in life, to, to, to trade the amazing plans and the incredible purposes of God and the eternal destiny that God has for you and I, to trade that thing for, for a short term, a momentary thing, a thing that just satisfies you for a moment, but then afterwards you're left regretful, remorseful, let me talk to all the single ladies here right now, all the single ladies. Don't tune out if you're not a single lady. All the single ladies. You know, one thing is sad for a pastor to see is when you see a, an on fire for God, young girl, downgrade, they, they, they were originally set, I'm gonna marry a man of God. I'm gonna marry someone who, who's a man of God, who's awesome. And then they, and they just downgrade that because I don't trust that what God has for them is, is greater than what, what could be presenting itself right here, right now. It's gotten quiet. 
But, but let, me tell, let me encourage all the single ladies, let me, let me encourage you. The first question to ask is, does he love Jesus? That's the first question. Because if you've already fallen in love with his pecs and his bias and his tries and his abs and his calves, his neck muscles and his jawline and his perfectly swooped hair, then, then it's gonna be difficult to fall. The first question is, does he love Jesus? But he has a cross tattooed. But does he carry the cross? I'm sorry if you have a cross tattoo. I mean, it's... <laughs> but he has great abs. But, but sweetheart, those abs don't mean anything if you're dragging his butt out of bed to go to church. Does he love Jesus? Don't sell yourself short. And this is not just for the, the single ladies. The single guys, the same thing applies for you too. Just because you've been rejected once or twice or... 27 times, doesn't mean you can <laughs> just keep trying. Come on, keep going at it. Someone will say, <laughs> I got rejected by so many girls in middle school. I can say that joke, it's fine. And I'm glad I did because I ended up with this beautiful girl here. So it's all, it all works out well in the end. Then we got guys that have, have a major dream for God. I remember when I was in youth ministry, sitting down with one of my leaders one day and having lunch and he was just telling me about the God dreams he had in his heart. He was, he was such a faithful guy, such an amazing young leader. One of those guys you think, man, this guy's gonna do something great for God one day. He was telling me, man, God's put a, a thing on my heart for Europe. I wanna go to Europe and plant churches, all this crazy. He had a big vision for his life, he's single. And this girl came along and everyone was, everyone was kind of saying, man, I'm not sure about this girl. I just don't know about her. But we were not gonna control you. We're not gonna tell you you can't date her. But we just, I just don't think this is a good idea. But he kind of didn't listen and started dating her. And, and, you know, long story short, he's not really doing much these days, you know, because it's sad because when you get hot and cold water and you put them together, the cold water doesn't become hot. The, the hot water becomes lukewarm. And I'm kind of harping on the point this morning of, of selling ourselves short in relationships, but this applies for, for every area of our life. And maybe you're, you're sitting here, you're married, you've got kids. Let me, let me encourage you and I today that we need to help our kids with this too. We need to help our, our, our high schoolers not sell themselves short. I feel so sorry for the poor individual that is gonna try and take my Georgia out on her first date. Oh, in 20 years time when she's allowed to date. I am so, but part of me is looking forward to it. Because here's what, I'm gonna be on, on my front porch in a Moroccan chair when he arrives. I've already figured this whole thing out. I'm gonna be chewing on a long piece of grass. I'll be sipping on whiskey. I don't even drink whiskey, but I'll have whiskey. For this illustration, I will pretend to be drinking whiskey. It's okay, I don't drink, no, I don't drink whiskey. I'll be polishing a shotgun. Even if I don't own a shotgun, I'm gonna borrow someone. So if you have a shotgun, let me know. You're polishing it. He'll come in, I'll be a, hey, take a seat. <laughs> I need to tell you something, boy. I'm not afraid of prison. <laughs> in fact, every day I get older, Potential life sentence gets a little shorter. 
And he'll turn to me and he'll say, Pastor Drew, why are you speaking so weird? <laughs> and then I'll break his leg. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just joking, you guys. But come on, I think it's, I'm, I'm not saying we need to be crazily overly protective parents, but I am saying we maybe have to be a little bit in this area because I, I, oh, too often we see young people selling themselves short and we got guys that are, that are interested in girls because of what's on their chest, not what's in their heart. And we live in California, guys. One of those is easier to fix than the other one. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you decide which one. Hey, when the AC's not working, I'm going to help you laugh a little bit, keep you engaged in church. But here's the thing about, about Esau. He sold himself so short. What a tragedy it would be for you and I, not even just in our relationships, in every area of our life. You know, God hasn't called you and I to sell ourselves short. He hasn't called, called you and I to get our God purpose and our God destiny and let the devil come in in a moment of weakness and trade that thing in. Come on, I wanna tell somebody today, today is your day to not trade in your destiny for what may be here in the short term, in the momentary, that God's got a great plan for you. Don't let the devil trick you and trade what God has for you for what the world has for you. Someone say amen. amen. Come on, always trust God that what He has for you is better than what the devil has for you. Anyway, moving along. Philippians 3, for the second story, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So hold that thought for a second. Hold that, hold that thought. We can keep the scripture up there because I'm gonna come back to it in a minute. There's a story in the Bible about Lot's wife. Some of you have heard it. You can read it uh, in your own time this week. But to summarize the story, there's this guy named Lot. His wife and his children are leading, leaving a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. The place is gonna be destroyed. And, and, and they're told specifically, hey, you leave this place, but don't look back. Run, get out, flee, don't look back. Simple, two, two instructions. Run away, don't look back. Get out, don't look back. Simple. You'd think that's simple, wouldn't you? That sounds pretty simple, a two-step instruction. So Lot and his daughters abide by these instructions. But Lot's wife, she had, to, she had to have one last look. She's walking away. She just turns her head for one last glimpse at the past. And she's, it's crazy. She's turned to a pillar of salt. Yeah, I know, it's pretty intense. Like, what a, what a crazy story, right? You thought you had a bad day. <laughs> Imagine being Lot. <laughs> Imagine going to the the bar after that day and having to, how was your day? Well, pretty bad. <laughs> you wouldn't believe what happened to my wife. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in fact, we were, in, we were in Israel recently and I happened to bump into Lot's wife. You can throw the picture up there. We, saw, we actually saw Lot's wife. That's Lot's wife there. <laughs> Just a little bit of fun in church today. If you've had salt, then, you know, that's where she comes from. She's, she is now salt. You've eaten salt, that's, that's part of Lot's wife. I'm kidding, it's a joke. You can't. There wouldn't be enough to go around the whole world. Lot's wife. You can take that picture down. It's distracting. Thank you. <laughs> so Esau sold himself short. That's the lesson number one for those you taking notes. Want to go to heaven. Lesson number two, Lot's wife looked back. She looked back. You know, it would have really helped. Uh, uh, Tony, come up here real quick with the prop. I like this. I've always wanted to do this prop. This is fun. It would have really helped Lot if his wife, if they'd stopped by Rite Aid 
on the way. Just, just chuck that thing on me. I know you're thinking this is not like your, your old church. It's not. Thanks, Tony. Come on, give it for Tony, everybody. Rescuing kids in swings yesterday and neck bracing me up today. It's actually quite comfortable. Next time I'm flying, bam. Mm. You know, it would have been really helpful for Lot's wife to have one of these little neck braces here. It looks quite good, doesn't it? It would have been really helpful because like it says in, in Philippians 3, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I face forward. I look forward. I, I look forward to my future, not backwards. You and I, we can't see forwards if we're busy looking backwards. One of the biggest mistakes in the Bible was found right here and you and I could miss it if we skim over it. We could miss the power of this story if we skim over it. That they were instructed not to look back. The gravity of looking back. Do we underestimate how damaging it can be to our lives when we keep looking back? Do we underestimate the importance and the power of just facing forward in life? I'm telling you, it'd probably help some people on their way home today to stop by right and pick one of these up so you could stop looking back at all these things in your world. Isaiah 43 says this, if you want another scripture to back this up. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. You see, God wants to do a new thing in somebody's life today. Did you know that? God wants to do something new in your life. But God's ability to do something new in your life is 100% dependent on your ability to let go of what's behind you and to trust God that what's ahead of you is greater than what's behind you. I'll say it again. God wants to do something new in somebody's life today, but in order for God to do something new in your life today, that is 100% on you, on me. It's our responsibility to maybe put the neck brace on and say, I'm not gonna look back anymore. I'm gonna trust God that what's ahead of me is greater than what's behind me. Some people need to face forward and stop looking back. Stop looking back at your, at your old failures at your old mistakes, at the thing that happened to you 25 years ago. I'm sorry something bad happened to you 25 years ago, but how many more days will it rob you? How many more days will you spend life walking around, trying to look back, constantly looking back, walking into cars, walking into poles, stumbling through life? God's not called you and I to look back. He's called you and I to look forward. Someone say amen today in church. Come on, Tony, help, help me get this thing off, man. <laughs> Oh, relief. Just cracked my neck. That was phenomenal. All right, let's keep moving here. Esau sold himself short. And Lot's wife, will she look back? I know this is simple preaching, but I'm a simple preacher. So I'm like, I like to keep it simple. So for this next point, we're going to go to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 through 5. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David didn't go out to war. He just hung back at home. Just keep that up your sleeve for a moment. One evening, David got up out of bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he, he saw a woman bathing. And this woman, she was, she was very beautiful. 
In fact, when I was in Israel, I was actually in Jerusalem. And uh, I actually believe that this was possibly the site where David saw Bathsheba. So guys, pop that on the screen. This is the actually, this is, this is possibly the spot. Now it's not backed up in scripture. It's not backed up in scripture. The message lends to it. But yeah, I know it's a funny caption down the bottom. It's, that's not in the Bible either. She was not bathing in essential oils, that, but she may have been. We don't know that. But um, that's actually on the roof of our hotel. From I'm just trying to use this message to help sell the next Israel trip to you. So you too, you can swim in that amazing pool with Bathsheba bathed in, uh, in Israel in two years time. But uh, I was actually in Israel and that's, you can take it down, it's funny. It's just, a, it's, just it's a distraction. Um, so we've got David not going to war on his rooftop, just hanging out, looking at girls bathing, kind of creepy. So anyway, let's continue on. David sent for someone to find her. The man said, she is Bathsheba. Is it just me or does anyone find it ironic that her name was Bathsheba and she was taking a bath? <laughs> like I, I kind of think God was like, let's make this funny. <laughs> <laughs> then David sent messengers to get her and she came to him. So David's not at war. He's just hanging out at home. All the, all the men are at war. He's just, just chilling, not doing much. And she comes to him and he pulls out his guitar, puts on a big hat, looks just like Bradley Cooper. <laughs> and he starts singing to her, tell me something girl, are you happy in this modern world? She starts singing back to him, tell me something boy. Are you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Then they start harmonizing together. I'm off the deep end, watch as I dive in. And if you haven't seen the film, you've got no idea what I'm talking about now. But it's a phenomenal song with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. No endorsement of them, it's just a good song. And then he sleeps with her. And then she goes back home and she conceives and she sends word to David saying, I am pregnant. So now David, our friend David's in quite a pickle. So he tries to get Bathsheba's husband Uriah to go home to sleep with her. That does not work. He tries to get him drunk to go sleep with her. That does not work. So David then makes a big plan to put him on the front lines at war to get him killed. So basically murders him. That does work. Okay, that does work. So it appears to me that David has a lot of spare time on his hands. He wasn't at war. We've established that. He was hanging on his roof, watching girls bathe. Like when you go to your friend's house that live in a high rise and they've got massive binoculars and you're like, what's that for? <laughs> I like to watch the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to leave now <laughs> before you kill me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm skeptical on people that own massive binoculars that live in high rises. I'm just like, what are you doing? You're spying on people, stop it. It's a felony. <laughs> so David's got a lot of spare time. He's not going to war. He's hanging out on his rooftop, spying on girls, sleeping with Bathsheba, singing songs to her, creating plans to try and cover it all up 
creating plans to kill her husband. Seems to me like David had lots of time. Seems to me like David possibly was just a little bit bored, had nothing to do. I did youth ministry. Emma and I did youth ministry for many, many years. And one thing we found in common with, with, with many, many, many young people that derail their life is they make the worst decisions when they're bored. You and I make dumb choices when we're bored. Because when we're bored, we haven't got purpose. When we're bored, we haven't got destiny. When we're bored, we get distracted. So David had nothing to do. That's the third lesson if you're taking notes. I would say to you today that it's possible that if David was actually at war, if he was actually at the place that he was supposed to be, this whole thing would have been avoided. I would wonder how many dumb choices in our future will we not make if we're busy putting our hand to the plow and doing the things that God has for you and I to do, not just hanging out on rooftops with big old creepy binoculars checking out girls. I'm just gonna put it to you today. Are you bored? I would much rather be busy than bored. Often people complain about being busy, but what's the alternative, being bored? I don't know. I'd rather be busy than bored. I remember seasons of my life where I was bored. It's terrible because there's no purpose attached to it. But when, you, when you're walking with God and when you're doing things for God, when you're expanding the church, when you're expanding the kingdom of God, you are living an exciting, busy, fun life. And you won't end up looking at girls on rooftops. Someone say amen. All right, my fourth and final point. Worship team, you guys can come. We're gonna wrap this up in just a moment. Luke 15, Luke 15, verse 11 through 24, the story of the prodigal son. For my final point, my final story, my final lesson today from Dumb and Dumber. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before I die, before you die rather. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all of his money in wild living. That's a very dumb move for him to do. Verse 14, about that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent, out into his, sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him and no one gave him anything. So when he finally came to his senses, when the prodigal son finally comes to his senses, he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So here we have the prodigal sons, and I've skimmed over the story quickly for the sake of time, but we have the prodigal son's lowest moment. This is, this is his rock bottom moment of his life. He must be feeling really dumb. Dumb choice after dumb choice after dumb choice has led him to this point. He's got no food. He's got no job. His pet's heads are falling off. I had to say it at some point in my message today. It's a line from the movie. But here he is. He's at rock bottom. He must be feeling so dumb. And he says, I'm gonna go back to my father's house. I'm gonna offer myself as a servant, not as a son. You see, what bad choices did, what dumb choices did to the prodigal son was it, it caused him to see himself as a servant and not to see himself as a son. Probably the saddest side effect 
that you and I will ever experience in life as a result of our dumb choices is the distortion of our view of ourselves, which is exactly where the prodigal son found himself. His perspective of himself went from being a son to being a servant. So Esau sold himself short and Lot's wife looked back and David had nothing to do. The prodigal son just wanted to do life his own way. Some of us may not uh, identify as much with the first three points, but I'm sure each and every one of us could definitely identify with the fourth one today. Every single day in our lives, we have the choice to make to do life our way or to do life God's way. That's a choice that you and I make every single day. So spoiler spoiler alert, it works out okay in the end. Verse 20, the son returns home to his father and while he's a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love. He ran to his son, he embraced him, he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, get sandals for his feet, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Check this out, verse 24. He doesn't say the servant of mine was dead and now returned. He says the son of mine was dead, but now he's returned. The father never saw him as a servant. He only ever saw him as a son. So they kill the calf, they have a feast, the party begins. The good news is, is that no matter how dumb you and I are in our lives, no matter how far we we run from God, we can rest assured that God has not gone anywhere. Unlike me sitting on my front porch, sipping on whiskey and polishing a shotgun I borrowed, probably from Tony. God is sitting on the front porch. He'll never leave that front porch waiting for for somebody to come home. Even the most lost person in life, even the person that says, man, of all the people in the room today, I guarantee you, I've made the dumbest choices. I'm the dumb and dumbest of all. Even the person who's gone the furthest from God, let me assure you today, even if you've run far, far from God, God's still sitting on that porch, just like the story of the prodigal son, waiting for you and I to come home. There's no dumb thing that you and I could do that would make God hop up out of His rocking chair and give up and walk inside. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.